we we finally got a uh, impressive or more par for the course Ohio State win yesterday, although it uh, certainly didn't come under normal circumstances. So uh, happy Sunday to you folks. Thanks for t- tuning in to Hang Out in the Holy Land, episode 11. And uh, we're coming off the heels of that Ohio State-Michigan State game yesterday that the Buckeyes won 52-12. I'm joined by my co-host Gene Ross. And uh, Gene, you feel good about yesterday? You, uh, how are you feeling this morning? Yeah, feeling pretty good about yesterday. You know, it was good to have the Buckeyes back in any capacity, but especially when they look as good as they did, that's an added bonus. And with how bad the rest of the college football slate was yesterday, it was a very welcome sight to see Ohio State back on the field because other than that, like, BYU Coastal game, the rest of the college football world yesterday was just hot garbage. So it was it was a fun Saturday uh, nonetheless, and uh, I'm feeling good today. Yeah, I was, I was pretty disappointed when I turned on Clemson, Virginia Tech, and that was still within, I think a score at that point and in the next like five minutes i was watching and proceeded to open up to like 38 to 10 so they uh yeah yesterday's slate out as you said outside of that coastal byu game was certainly not that great so it was nice to have ohio state football back um it's you know we talked about that availability report a bit on the last show and uh i they had mentioned that there wasn't going to be anyone missing, or at least people with insider info were saying that there wasn't going to be anyone super significant missing. But I, I, I hesitate to agree with that, given what ended up actually coming out uh, before the game yesterday. I was particularly concerned. It's one thing to be missing, you know, the majority of your starting offensive linemen. Um, but I played, I played center for three years for my varsity high school team and I can tell you that learning that position on the fly when you have been you know playing guard or tackle is not easy just because of having to be responsible for the assignments of four other players that you play with on the line you're basically quarterbacking the line on top of having to consistently you know throw the ball between your legs back to the quarterback every time if you're in shotgun so I, I sympathize very much with Harry Miller uh, yesterday, but yesterday was full of surprises, including that one. Um, I don't think that was the one that shocked me the most, even though it certainly is never fun to get caught without a missing majority of your linemen and some other players. We, we certainly missed seeing tough Borland yesterday. But uh, what, what surprised you the most yesterday, I guess, out of, you know, whether it was the availability report or player performance, what, or what kind of just stood out to you as wow yesterday? Because I think that there were definitely a few different things that if you've been watching this team all season, you uh, weren't necessarily expecting to see versus Michigan State. Yeah, so, I mean, Ohio State was missing 23 guys, 17 scholarship players, and not all of that was COVID. They said, you know, some guys are out for injury, some guys could be out for contact tracing, so don't really know the full extent of the COVID outbreak. And based on the numbers that they've said, like the percentage-wise, it's it's highly unlikely that 17 of those scholarship guys all tested positive, just because that would be over the threshold probably with the way the math works. But yeah, I was a little surprised about the offensive line, but I was also surprised about how well I thought the offensive line played in the absence of so many guys. You know, Ohio State was playing like second and third stringers out there all day, and they, they really did a pretty good job. I think Justin Fields was only sacked three times, and like two of them were just like, you know, one of those Justin Fields trying to make a play things where he got tackled behind the line. But I thought they held up really well, and obviously it wasn't a phenomenal Michigan State front, but... 
to lose three of your starting five offensive linemen and then your best backup tackle as well. Uh, it was a pretty stand-up job by the offensive line. Obviously, you know, Harry Miller's been playing guard. He was recruited as a center, but he's, he hasn't played it in quite a while because he's been playing at guard for Ohio State. But, uh, I mean, his snaps in the first couple drives were a little erratic. Luckily, Justin Fields has, has some baseball experience in his time, so he was scooping ground balls and catching on the fly around him <laughs> all over the place. I don't know how many other quarterbacks could have been unflustered by those kind of snaps pretty much every single down, especially on the first drive. I don't think he had a single good snap on the first drive, yet Ohio State still went 80 yards and scored a touchdown. But yeah, I was I was impressed with how the offensive line played in the absence of uh, so many of their starters. And then on the de- defensive side, you know, obviously they're missing Tuff Borland and Josh Proctor, two guys that have been important producers on that side of the ball. And I thought there was a couple guys that really stepped up well. I thought Ronnie Hickman looked really good at safety. Uh, Dallas Gant had a really good game at, at linebacker. So we got to see some of these guys that we've kind of been waiting to see all season. And obviously these aren't the circumstances that you want to see them. But uh, I thought it was t- uh, a nice way to see some of these guys shine and see that, you know, Ohio State does have depth in, in case of emergency like this. And they play played really well and to your point about fields i you know we came into this game and i kept harping on how i wanted to see him you know behave more he behaves a strong way to phrase it but uh you know just play more conservatively or at least just with the mind of not taking so many sacks and uh you know throwing the ball away when it's appropriate and i came into this game not really expecting fields to you know, answer questions either way. I mean, if he did really well in this game, that was just going to satisfy expectations for him against what's a pretty lackluster overall Michigan State team. If he performed poorly again for the second game in a row, then, you know, a lot of the questions that came out after the Indiana game were only going to grow. So it was kind of a no-win situation almost, at least from where I was looking. But I was very impressed with him yesterday, knowing that he had so many offensive linemen out that he was going to have to throw the ball away more, which he did on multiple occasions where it was very evident that, you know, whether it was avoiding making a second and long into a third and impossible or just, you know, recognizing that he was going to get hit and didn't need to, you know, take an unnecessary uh, tackle, if you will. Uh, he, He played very, very composed football yesterday under extremely... Um, turbulent circumstances between Harry Miller, you know, with the erratic snapping, which again is not an easy thing to do. So I don't really hold that against him. But then not having your starting offensive line as well, even against a Michigan State team that I think you pointed out last week did only had about 10 total sacks on the season as a team was not a very strong pass rush. But Fields still understood the situation and reacted accordingly. But the thing that surprised me the most yesterday was uh, Trey Sermon. I, I didn't, if I, I would not have expected Trey Sermon to have any hundred yard rushing performances uh, at all this year, based on how we saw him uh, through the first few games. He actually more than doubled up Master Teague yesterday, who had that pretty impressive run in the first quarter where he got called down on the one yard line, and. You know, after yesterday's game, he definitely looked a little bit more explosive. Uh, certainly didn't look super fast on his touchdown run when Fields was able to catch all the way up with him and then kind of nudge that final blocker out uh, before he could, you know, get a finger on Sermon. But I am wondering now, after I've been harping all season on very firmly making Teague the lead back in Sermon, um, you know, the the strictly pass catching and third down roll guy. You know, I'm wondering if more of an even split is called for here, given how we saw Sermon run yesterday against a you know not not too shabby Michigan State defense. 
Yeah, and I mean, my new favorite Ohio State running back is Mayan Williams. I, I know it was at the <laughs> end of the game and it was against backups, but that dude was breaking tackles. He kept his legs moving and he looked good. But yeah, just in terms of the running game and going back to Justin Fields a little bit, I think this was the first game that the coaching staff really like cut him loose and just unleashed him and let him play his game. And I know it was against an inferior opponent and like they had a lot going on, so obviously they needed him to really step up to the moment. But I thought this was the first game where they were really I don't, I think they've kind of limited Justin Fields running this season just to keep him healthy. And I think in this game they just told him to go go ball, go do whatever you got to do to win this game cuz he he looked he was making all the right reads when he had to run, he ran, when he had to throw, he threw. He threw it away when there was nothing there. I thought he played one of his smartest games we've seen especially this year and just like he was he was making the right decisions at all times and he had a, he had a career high uh 104 rushing yards on the day. And so, you know, the Sherman led the team with 112 on 10 carries. Fields had 104 yards on 13 carries. And then Teague had a bit of a slow day, 46 yards on 14 carries. But that was kind of just style of the game and the way they were running it. They are kind of running him between the tackles on a with a backup offensive line. So it wasn't, wasn't much there. But, yeah, the run game looked really good. And I thought Justin Fields played one of his smartest games of the year, and he looked good doing it. So we still had, I think, you know, questions about the defense coming into this game. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I don't really feel any better about uh, the defense based on what I saw yesterday. Michigan State is a absolutely horrible opponent, and uh, Rocky Lombardi was not good at all um, when he was in there. But they, I think, I don't know if you can say that they necessarily got better or worse when he got hurt and Peyton Thorne came in, but I think it stands to reason that when a team that's already bad on offense has their backup come in in the middle of the game, uh, they shouldn't necessarily look any better. In fact, they if they're already a pretty bad team, they should probably look worse. And, you know, what we saw yesterday, again, was this team went up 35 nothing, and uh, this team that really shouldn't be scoring any touchdowns on them had a pretty quick response. They got like a, what, 30-yard uh, pass downfield. So I think Jalen Naylor, something like that. Or it might have been Jaden Reed, actually. Um and then they had a 20-yard – and then Peyton Thorne took it in from 20 yards out uh, on the the play immediately following that. Next drive, Olave fumbles the ball. And then I think a couple plays after, Sean Wade had an interception on what was an overthrown ball from Thorne. But it really wasn't that terrible of a ball. It was just a little bit off the fingers of the guy in front of him. And against a better team, that probably would have been an open run and catch for about 15 yards that would have set up Michigan State for first and goal. And then you're looking at a team that suddenly has scored two quick touchdowns um, to, you know, after previously letting up 35 unanswered to start the game. Um, So I, there's still for me, this defense is still prone to giving up big plays. I'm not entirely convinced based on what I saw yesterday that they're going to be able to fix that problem uh, before they start playing better teams. Obviously, there were great moments yesterday, like Haskell Garrett had a phenomenal game, even without that incredible deflection touchdown in the end zone. Um, but I don't know, Gene, how do you how do you feel about the defense after what you saw yesterday, given we kind of expected them to put the clamps on? And they did for the most part, but not 
in a completely comprehensive way that I think some people would have liked. Yeah, I'm not ready to really jump to any broad conclusions based on Michigan State's passing offense. If anything, <laughs> I learned I learned more about Michigan State than I did about Ohio State. I don't know how the hell Peyton, Thor- Peyton Thorne isn't their starting quarterback because Rocky Lombardi was terrible. I don't know how that dude threw for 300 yards against Michigan, but I don't, I don't think he had a single good throw all day over like five yards. That, that dude couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. So yeah, I don't think we really learned too much about Ohio State's secondary. However... I do think that we've we've seen some personnel that could maybe work out, and I know I don't know how long you know Josh Proctor. I don't know if he's out with COVID or out contact tracing. He, if he's out with COVID, he won't be back till Big Ten Championship. But but Ronnie Hickman looked really good, and obviously it's against a bad team, but he was playing the bullet role that Josh Proctor is playing, and like the whole thing this year has been like, oh well, Josh Proctor can't play the high safety because he's got to play the bullet. Well, Ronnie Hickman played the bullet really well, so if you want to move. Josh Proctor, the free safety, or actually, you know, I have to, you got to give credit where credit's due. We've done it. You know, we've, we've been, we've been kind to of tough Borland. He's had good games this year. I'm going to be kind to Marcus Hooker because I thought Marcus Hooker played one of his better games at Buckeye. He had a nice deflection in the end zone. He had a couple other nice plays. So he's looking a little better. I know it's against a bad passing team, but still. And so if you wanted to run with it, I don't know how good you could move him, but Josh Proctor in the slot, and then you got Ronnie Hickman at bullet and Marcus Hooker up high. It's a look that they should probably look into if these guys are going to be back anytime soon. And I just think, you know, you're finding some guys that could play. You know, they haven't really gotten to get those backups in until this game. So you're starting to learn a little bit. But I don't think it's anything that um, you could really say, like, oh, Ohio State fixed their defense because they let up 10 of really bad Michigan State offense. <laughs> it's also funny that, like, it just seems that Ohio State gets to 35-7 to and then falls apart. Because that the, the, the quick touchdown, it was 35 nothing. They got the touchdown to make it 35-7. Then they, and Olave fumbles. And then, yeah, like you said, there was a bad pass that probably would have been caught for, like, 15 yards, if not a touchdown on a catch-and-run slant that just was overthrown and went right into a diving Sean Wade's hands. But it once again, it was just like the last time they were out. It was 35-7, to and then things started to go a little weird if it wasn't for that that pass i'm i'm glad you've been harping a lot on how you you were hoping a lot of younger guys were going to be able to get into one of these games just for experience building purposes and i'm i'm glad we got to see that yesterday uh i'm particularly glad that marcus hooker got one of those games under his belt i'm sure that'll be a confidence builder going forward i still think that Based on what we saw yesterday and what we were talking about, how the biggest problem with this team needs to be fixed with the the safety issues, that what you're saying is correct, that Proctor needs to be moved out of the bullet back to high safety. And Hickman, I think you can feel relatively comfortable with playing him in that bullet role uh, the rest of the way. Um, and I think that that helps them out a lot and that the only thing that they really have to worry about from there is – you know, who's going to be their other outside secondary guy. Um, I guess they still feel comfortable with seven banks. Um, And we'll see if, you know, if moving Proctor back to high safety and giving him a little bit more help over the top, which was the, uh, those were the areas he was getting beat in um, when they were playing Indiana. Um, I think that that hopefully will mitigate those issues. And then maybe, you know, they'll, they'll feel a little bit more comfortable with banks and that'll help tighten things up a bit. But, yeah, that's not, unfortunately, something I don't think we're going to get to see until possibly the Michigan game or the Big Ten championship, as you said. Um, it just really comes down to where Proctor's going to end People up. People forget, too, Ronnie Hickman's not like some scrub. Like, Ronnie Hickman was a, a high four-star recruit. He was the number 10 safety in the country in 2019. Like, he's he's a very good player. It's not like he's a backup because he was, like, a, a two-star recruit. He's, he's a legit dude who could play on this team. 
No, but there, I think there's a bunch of guys on this team that you can say that about. It's just who do you feel comfortable rolling out there as an underclassman that's got, you know, just not a lot of experience playing in these big moments. And, you know, the, the tune-up moments for this team now are over. It's, it's big moments all the way to the end. You've got the, you know, the most important regular season game on the schedule every year in Michigan. And then you've got big 10 championship after that and then it's the playoffs. so there's four games left and everyone's got to come to play in every single one of those games so i think it's you know if you're the coaching staff and you're just trying to figure out who's going to be the mo- who who among our young guys is going to be most comfortable handling that kind of pressure you know it's not really something that you're totally able to figure out until you just throw them to the dogs so it uh it'll be interesting to see how they try to fix it but yeah we're just kind of i think waiting on proctor at this point because we know he's other than wade proctor is probably the best db on the roster this year um so it's it, it hurts to have a guy missing missing like that that could potentially resolve what is obviously the biggest glaring issue with your defense based on the last two games yeah, and I thought the overall scheme of the defense was a lot better this week. I thought they played a little more a little more aggressively, at least when the game was still not in firmly in hand. They played close to the line. They are playing some nice – they played like a uh, – the Dallas Gantt, like I said, was playing really nice even in the passing game. So, I mean, they showed that they don't need to have just a, f- a pure pass – a pure run-stuffing linebacker in the game to stop the run. They still were very good against the run. They're – there were two running backs combined for like 50 yards and Peyton Thorne had like the rest. So they were good against the run once again, even without tough Borland, who we've said, you know, is is the run stuffing guy. So you, you could see that you could have like, especially if you're going to play teams in the playoffs, like a Clemson and an Alabama that are very pass heavy, you could have your pass heavy set in there and still control the run. So I thought that was good to see, even though, you know, I, I, I take everything against yesterday with a grain of salt because just how bad Michigan State's offense was. I, I, I can't <laughs> for the life of me figure out how this team beat Michigan or Northwestern. I don't know how they've won any games i will tell you well a couple things um i i will tell you that i was a bears i've been a bears fan my whole life and uh michigan state's current head coach mel tucker was a defensive coordinator for the bears for a short amount of time and i will tell you he was one of the most infuriating assistant coaches i think that i've ever had to deal with as a bears fan um he for lot of reasons was just very perplexing and you know there were there were i i do remember that silly penalties were a recurring theme with when people were playing under him and then yesterday one of the more inexplicable things that i I, i've seen occurred during the game when uh, michigan state was about to get caught with 10 players on the field and so mel tucker wisely called a timeout to get all of his ducks in a row and they did that and then they came out of the timeout and they promptly got whistled for 12 men on the field. So they they were trying to correct an under, I guess, staffing issue on the field, if you will. And they ended up overcorrecting it during the timeout, Listen, which ma- I thought was one hard. of the more... Math is hard. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was one of the more Mel Tucker moments I, I, I've seen uh, and kind of just perfectly summarizes what... Michigan State fans have to look forward to in, in uh, the coming years. I think it's going to be more of those moments and less of the uh, fluky upsets over Northwestern. Um, but, you know, to your point about scheme, it was it was nice to not see linebackers tracking uh, receivers and man coverage all the way out to the sideline this week. So I'm glad they got that corrected. And, uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought the coaches, especially given, you know, days at home and, you know, pulling his hair out or jumping up and down, depending on what play was going on, 
Uh, Larry Johnson coached a brilliant game. Uh, I think Kerry Coombs definitely showed. And again, going from Indiana to Michigan State, as you've been alluding to the the entire podcast, it's like, oh, well, it's their offense. It's not a whole lot to you know, get excited over. But Coombs still, you know, looked like he made some adjustments that they needed to um, and, you know, cut out a lot of the bad stuff that we saw against Indiana. And, you know, as we said, experimenting with other players of the bullet, which I think is really important, even though they kind of had to do that given Proctor was out. Um, so yeah, just great, great scheming overall. And I think on the offensive side of the ball too, and I think this was the point I wanted to make earlier, uh, where I lost track a bit was that I think part of the reason that you saw fields, um, set that career high in rushing, uh, yesterday was, intentionally by design they they've not been using him a lot in uh you know rushing outside of the red zone this year but i think that they recognize that keeping him in the pocket today even with an inferior pass uh pass rush in michigan state that was not going to be conducive to success so they wanted to get him out and running away from the pocket rolling out you know heading downfield towards the sideline and still keeping him safe when he does have to roll out but he did a really good job of and – th- and this was something that I really loved watching JT Barrett do was JT Barrett, even though he was running the ball so often as a quarterback, did a really, really good job of protecting himself when he was going down or taking contact to make sure he wasn't getting hit in vulnerable areas. And Fields, I thought, did a really good job of that yesterday too, even on plays where he was taking a loss – or about to go out of bounds, pretty much any situation where he was going to take contact, he was doing it in a way that was smart and was going to be a low likelihood of him getting hurt. So he did a great job yesterday. The coaches did a great job of, you know, letting him run a little bit more so that it kind of took a little bit of stress off the offensive line. And uh, yeah, they, I, I was really impressed. I think by everybody yesterday overall. There's still questions on the defensive side. I'm worried about, and uh, you know that I've got less clarity on the running back situation that I did a few games ago, and I thought we were starting to sort of figure it out a little bit more. But the questions that I've got this week certainly aren't as concerning as the ones that I had coming off of Indiana. So I feel I I do feel a little bit better about this team this week than I did. Uh, couple weeks ago yeah and just piggybacking off your coaching point I did think the coaching staff did a really good job considering not only Day was out there missing a bunch of assistants uh Corey Dennis was out uh Matt Barnes was out and I think uh, Greg Madison was also out if I'm not mistaken uh they were missing a bunch of assistants as well and I thought they did call a really good game the only there was two plays specifically where I thought they were really missing the influence of Ryan Day and it was one of them was their first drive where they were on the one yard line and they didn't just go under center and push Justin Fields into the pile, which is like the easiest thing in the world. I don't think Justin Fields has ever gotten less than like four yards on a QB sneak. So that that was one where I just thought, I don't know if they were worried about Harry Miller under center with the, the non-shotgun snaps, but that was one area I thought that Ryan Day might have said, you know, we're going to QB sneak here. And the other was they ran like a backwards pass to Trey Sermon that had never had a chance of going anywhere and it lost like five yards. And I was like, what What are we doing here? That that play will literally never work, especially with a an entire backup group of offensive linemen trying to block for that play. So other than that, though, I thought they played a really good game. They played it smart, you know, a good, good mix of run pass, a lot of quick passes, a lot of, you know, they took some deep shots. Justin Fields last pass of the game was a beautiful like 40 yard dime to Chris Olave for a touchdown so you know they did a little bit of everything and against a team like that that's what you got to do 
Yeah, ever since that Clemson game last year, they've been really cheeky about doing those like third and one QB sneaks. And they usually end up going for like a couple yards at least just because they're they're really good about catching opponents off guard with them. So I think if they didn't feel comfortable running that yesterday, given that they've been comfortable running them in more instances than I think a lot of other teams do, I think that probably speaks to the fact that they weren't totally confident, I guess, that Harry Miller was going to be able to get that that wedge that they would need for that and that the the snap would be clean. So it's that's good risk mitigation. I think it stinks that you have to bail on what's one of your more reliable short yardage plays. But thankfully, it was against an opponent like Michigan State, not someone a little more high profile that you would probably need that against. Who was your uh, who was your favorite fill-in offensive lineman yesterday? Because I, I definitely know who mine was, but I'm curious what your answer is. I mean, it's got to be Dewan Jones, right? Fan, oh, course, fan favorite. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't really know. Like, I didn't notice him do anything specifically well, but I, I didn't hear his name called all day, which as an offensive lineman means you're doing a good job. Yeah, he's impossible not to notice, man. He's too. Oh, you can definitely big. see him. <laughs> i've had ever since he was a big part of setting up that teague touchdown run against northwestern last year i've I've had my eye on him he uh he's definitely going to be one that'll be fun to watch in in more years to come he's he's a lot he's a lot more mobile than he looks just given how big he is and uh he's i he's got to be He's got to be the biggest tackle that they've had since Taylor Decker, I would think. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops and, um, you know, how he fills in for uh, Munford next year when when he unfortunately has to leave. But I thought he did well yesterday. It would have been nice to see Paris Johnson, obviously, because the five-star freshman. It sucks that he was out. We don't know, once again, if that's contact racing with the offensive lineman or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, he was fighting with Petit Frere for that job, and uh, obviously Petit Frere won it and has played very, very well, so we see why he won it. But, yeah, Paris Johnson will start along this offensive line very, very soon. Uh, one guy well, I do want to want to shout out before we kind of start wrapping up and get onto the Twitter and stuff is Drew Chrisman owns East Lansing. This, this man... Is, is a god at punting in that stadium, and I don't know what it is. He had some incredible punt. I think he had a 70-yard punt, and then he also had one where it was just perfectly down to, like, the half-yard line. And if you all remember, in 2018, when Ohio State was terrible, uh, they literally won the Michigan State game because Drew Christman just kept pinning Michigan State at the one. And so I think he legally owns that stadium now. Yeah, he had probably about, I want to say, four or five uh coffin corner kicks in that 2018 game he was definitely i mean he he could have been player of the week in the big 10 that week i mean I, he was certainly special teams player of the week but he was very very firmly player of the game i think in pretty much everyone's minds that uh watch that and uh anytime a punter makes a noticeable impact like that uh you definitely gonna give it up to them so crispin we uh we've enjoyed watching you kick and uh we will Savor what little time with you we have left uh, in these uh, closing games of Ohio State season because uh, we've, as as veterans of watching Jim Tressel football, we always appreciate a good punter. So, uh, Chrisman, thank you for your service, and uh, we look forward to watching you close it out uh, as the schedule winds down. But let's let's get to the fun, the most fun part of the show now, which is uh, responding to all the. Uh, wonderful insight and questions on Twitter. And uh, Gene, I know you've been anxious to do that given we haven't uh, unfortunately been able to be around for the last few weekend shows. Uh, so let's uh, let's get right into that. 
Yeah, I mean, between Ohio State's choppy schedule and our own choppy schedules, we've kind of missed out on this the past couple of weeks. So we only have a few this week. I understand that. You know, we've we've been off our game, but hopefully next week you guys will be uh, ready to go for that. Hopefully when they play Michigan, we're fingers crossed. But, you know, I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about that, whatever happens in that game. But we got a few today in response to our Twitter. So first one comes from Nate Stout, who says, the depth of talent showed today. The wide receivers look top-notch. And, of course, Justin Fields, he's pretty, pretty good. And in, in relation to that, Josh Durig said, Justin Fields is the best quarterback I've seen in a Buckeye uniform in the past 25 years. And as a kid that grew up on Long Island where we don't really care about college football out here, I've only been you know, an Ohio State fan for not that long. But in my span of watching Ohio State football, Justin Fields is pretty much the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. George, what do you think, as someone who's followed the team a little bit longer, what do you think Justin Fields has to do to really like solidify himself as like QB1 at Ohio State like ever? Obviously, there's been some dudes uh, that have come through this program, but Justin Fields is a very, very special talent. Just don't lose to Michigan. I, I think that that's a very uh, underrated part of what your Ohio State legacy is specifically. I, I think that um, – at least let me, let me try to rephrase that. I don't think that people from the outside looking in – like appreciate the value that that has, but anytime that you're, you know, a coach or a player and you're able to say that you didn't lose to Michigan, that's a very endearing part of your legacy. It's one of the big reasons why a lot of people consider urban Meyer, the best coach Ohio state's ever had better than even uh, Woody Hayes. I don't necessarily agree with that, but there's people that would make that argument. And one of the big pillars of that argument is the fact that the guy did not lose to Michigan. Um, so I think if Fields beats Michigan again and beats him handily, he already had kind of his heroic moment last year when he got hurt during the game. And then I think what two plays after he came back in with, you know, the big bulky knee brace, he threw that incredible touchdown to Olave, I believe it was. Um, so he's already had a bit of his hero moment, but I think if he wins another one or if he beats Michigan again and he, um, you know, he gets another college or he gets another big 10 championship i think he would probably need to win at least one college football playoff game just to kind of avoid the same issue that uh jt barrett had with respect to you know postseason performance because i think that's a, a a big consideration that people make but it certainly helps him that um you know a lot of other Ohio State quarterbacks unfortunately that have that bigger profile where they're contending for best QB in school history. They don't necessarily have the postseason performance to back it up. Uh, Troy Smith comes to mind. Dwayne Haskins, unfortunately, didn't get an opportunity to compete in the college football playoff. Um, and JT Barrett, obviously, the I believe the only game that he got to play in the playoff was the, uh, the Clemson game that we don't talk about. Um, so I don't think that there's a ton of competition with respect to postseason success for that. So I think it feels just even if he doesn't come out with a national championship, if he can win just their first playoff game this year, uh, based on just how efficient he was last year, I, I think it, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to not say he's the best quarterback in school history. But there's still three games left, and these are definitely you know Michigan, Big Ten championship, and, and you know championship postseason. It, uh, those are three games that can definitely swing your legacy uh, – sharply in one direction or the other if you're an Ohio State quarterback. So we'll see how Fields does. Obviously, we feel good about him. But 
his uh his story still being written even as a buckeye so it'll be cool to watch it unfold yeah there's definitely some important games to still be played in his career and i I think right now as we look at it i think him and troy smith are 1a 1b and if justin fields is able to win a national championship this year that would secure his spot as the number one quarterback in program history but i just think you know with how he's played and how much he's meant to this program i I think he is definitely a, a top two guy at worst and he's just like I, the the way he's played has been ridiculous to watch, and it's just it's you so the sense of calm watching Justin Fields play football is unmatched. But then moving on to just one other tweet before we wrap up here, uh, at Florida Buckeye sixty two says, "Now it's time to hang a hundred hashtag Hate Week." And yes, it is. Buy the shirts. I uh, man, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm telling you, man. I'm I'm. If there's a doorknob in Ann Arbor, this I'm I'm licking it. Like I don't want to play this game. I I want to be out. I don't like. And and not only that, like think about I, I, it, what would reignite the rivalry more. Like because we know whatever on field performance Michigan gives, it's not going to be one that you know, speaks to how the competitiveness of this rivalry is back. That's just not going to happen. Michigan is the worst version of themselves that we've seen under Harbaugh this year. And Ohio State's still clicking. And in years where that chasm has been dramatically reduced, Ohio State has still blown them out of the water. So if I'm if I'm Harbaugh and I look at the game that's coming up this weekend and I say there's basically no way we can win and I'm basically on the way out anyway – and I've had, you know, already games canceled due to, you know, COVID outbreaks and whatnot in recent weeks. Um, wouldn't it make so much more sense for me to do whatever I can to get this game canceled and stick it to the Ohio State, particularly after Ryan Day called me out on conference call and said, we're going to hang 100 on you guys because you guys are nosy and can't, you know, abide by your own protocols and, and, you know, mind your own business. So after day threatened to put triple digits on me this year and knowing that I can't really win this game anyway, doesn't it behoove me to, you know, get a win over Ohio state by basically nuking their whole season by disqualifying them for the big 10 championship. I, I, if I'm Jim Harbaugh this week, that's something that I'm giving serious consideration to because I, there's, I, I don't know what else would, you know, be a better outcome for Michigan, honestly, than to have Ohio State's entire uh, season just go up in smoke because of just not opting to play. Yeah. I don't see what the better option is for Michigan. At the same time, though, if you're Jim Harbaugh and you could look yourself in the mirror and say that I'm at the point in this rivalry where I'd rather cancel the game than play it because I know I'm just going to get my butt kicked, then I, I think it's just time to hang it up. Like, you don't even wait for Michigan to fire you. You just quit because you you have failed as a head coach if that's the the, the mindset you're going into this week with. If the game has it'd to be, be canceled... It'd be a lovely parting oh, gift. It'd be, a, it'd be the most Jim Harbaugh thing ever. But at the same time, <laughs> it's just like uh, how much... like I don't know which hurts you more in recruiting in this rivalry, whether you get killed by 70 by Ohio State or if you just you back out of the game. And obviously, you know, if they do have legit COVID issues, which it seems like they do, and I don't think they're lying about it, um, you can't play the game. But at the same time, if he thinks he's if, if he thinks canceling the game is going to keep Ohio State out of the playoffs, we've already heard the Big Ten talk about Ohio State. And the way that they're talking about it, it seems like they're going to do whatever possible to get Ohio State in that Big Ten championship game, whether that's changing the rule or altering the schedule to give them another game if Michigan can't play. So 
I don't think canceling that game is going to have the effect he'd want. And I do think that Harbaugh, at, at the end of the day, I think he's a coach. He wants to coach football. I think he wants to play the game. I don't think he's going to duck it on purpose. But I don't think he'd be very upset if it was canceled, like you're saying. So it'll be interesting. You know, we'll, we'll talk about Michigan this week on the on the preview podcast. But, uh, you know, it, it's, let's see what happens. I hope, I'm hoping they play. It'd be nice. You know, it'd be, it'd be real crappy to have a college football season without the game. But, you know, that's this is 2020. It's the year we're living in. So who, who knows what's happening anymore? Yeah, we certainly will. I I don't think I've ever been as like it's so tough because I I, I can't wait to watch this game just because I know it's gonna be weird. It's it's always weird, but I it's I, you just know with how twenty twenty how crazy it's been that it's gonna be ultra weird this year. But at the same time, I'm 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 still just based on how the recent results have gone. And how those recent results have been, have been between two teams that we've considered, at least on paper, to be relatively competitive. Uh, you, you're not getting the same vibe from that this year at all. And it just makes me really nervous about how competitive this game will be and how that's going to look to you know both sides of the rivalry. And if you know the, the difference between these two teams is just going to keep becoming more pronounced and pronounced. And at that point, you have to wonder if Michigan is even the biggest rival Ohio State has at this point now. It's the, it's the biggest rivalry for me. It always will be. But after so many years of successive blowouts, you just start to wonder, at one point, does it feel like this is a mutual rivalry and not just you know two teams that don't like each other, but one clearly has the edge over the other? Yeah, and I mean, counterpoint for Jim Harbaugh, if he somehow wins this game, he gets a 10-year extension, so... Maybe, maybe should play. Oh God, that would be if if he does somehow get the one weird win against Michigan he's had in his career in twenty twenty. I guess that would be. Uh, yeah, poetic. I mean, this, that, if there was going to be a year where Michigan would beat Ohio State, it would it would have to take a year like twenty twenty where just everything is wrong because like they on paper this there's, there's just no way. But I think I've said that about a million times in twenty twenty about everything that's happened ever. So who who knows. Well, we will do a little bit more research and uh, we will get back to you all this week with what the likelihood looks like that uh, Harbaugh and that team up north are able to give Ohio State any problems next weekend, assuming the game happens. And uh, assuming the game is going to happen, we should be back in your ear uh, later this week, Wednesday or Thursday, with another show for you previewing the game. And uh, I imagine we'll we'll push to we'll probably push to Thursday just so we make sure the game is being played. I'd imagine. I don't I don't know because we'll probably usually we record on Monday, so if we don't know the game is happening yet, we're we're not going to do that. So we'll see we'll see what happens. We'll probably get to you guys later in the week, later than usual. We probably the same as last week. Last week we were on Friday. This week we probably try to do Thursday if possible if we have the game confirmed by then or whatever opponent Ohio State's playing this week. Like BYU said, any any team anywhere any place we're, we're down to play. Well, in any event, as of uh, Sunday morning, the game is still happening. So uh, fingers crossed it stays locked in, and I'll uh, knock on wood right now as well. But uh, with that, I think we've uh, you know gone over enough of this Michigan State game here, and uh, we look forward to previewing the uh, Team Up North game later this week. But for now, we want to thank you for tuning in to hang out in the Holy Land episode 11, and uh, we'll be back in your ear later this week with uh, – analysis and thoughts and a preview of the closeout to Ohio State's regular season schedule next weekend. So uh, for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thank you very much for tuning in and uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Take care, folks.